You are listening to a sermon of Cornerstone UIC, a gospel-centered community on mission for our campus. Um, we, what, a, what a privilege to be with you guys. This is actually, I've been, um, how many of you guys have been involved with the, either the hot chocolate or the popsicle uh, adventures, I don't know what you call them. Um, uh, I, I, I did one of them, see, when, when did, when, Joel, you have one of them? Two winters ago, we had, who was with us that time? We had a bunch of people actually from last winter, from Colombia, from California, Mexico, uh, Chile, I don't know who all was with us, and I got to go out and be there, it was a really cold day, and then this year, I didn't go personally, but I think Susie and Kirson were there, as well as some Brazilians, did you guys meet the Brazilian missionaries that were here? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> pretty fun, right? I'm going to be with them this, I'm going to Brazil this Thursday, so um, we get to see everything that Bruno but I just want to introduce uh, the team here that's with me from Cornerstone Little Village, Piedra Principal La Villita. Uh, if you guys could just stand up, so the we have uh, Jose Javier, who's from Venezuela. We have uh, Gerson, who is from Mexico. And Susie, who's from Chile. So we have an international team here. Yeah, give it up. I personally, I'll tell you just a little bit about who I am, a little bit about Cornerstone little village and then we'll jump into the scripture for today because I don't know a whole lot of you. Um, but I was born in, in Peru. I think we have another Peruvian around over here. Okay, there we go. He's like the first time in his life. Another Peruvian! <laughs> UIC, yeah. Uh, I was born in Peru. My parents are missionaries uh, and then I lived in Chile and then in Panama and then been here in the Chicagoland area for Ooh, long time, 13 years, I think. Went to Wheaton College out in the suburbs, graduated, and helped start a Spanish-speaking church out there, and then have been here in the west side, the southwest side, in Little Village since September. Um, and uh, we're in the midst of planting a new cornerstone congregation out there. I think, do we happen to get the pictures? Yeah. Can we pop up? Oh, there we go. How many of you guys have been to Little Village before? Okay, this morning there was like everyone. So this is uh, this is 26th Street, uh, and basically just uh, after California. So it's I don't know which way is west here. Where's it down? Okay, there we go. So like 10 minutes that way. Okay, so very close. It's the uh, heart of the historic uh, Mexican community in Chicago. Uh, if you asked almost anyone from the last 20 years. That from the Mexican community in Chicago, about 26th Street, they'll, they'll know where it is, and they've been there probably to buy a quinceanera dress or uh, to eat tacos or something. But uh, we live, we have a, a missional community house about, uh, I don't know, say six, seven blocks from here, where Javier and Kerson and I and a bunch of other guys live, and they were in the midst of planting a new congregation um, in that neighborhood. So it's pretty exciting, we're, we're excited to be with you guys today and, and really be together on mission. Um, so what I'm going to be doing today is share, sharing some stories from Little Village uh, and then really using this neighborhood as a bit of a lens through which to see the scripture from today and then see what, what could this scripture have to tell uh, us here at UIC. What does this mean for you all students for reaching this campus um, and, and for really being a part of God's mission here on this campus and this university. Um, so let, let's pray before we jump into uh, to God's word. Señor Jesús, damos gracias, Lord, we give you thanks. Gracias por tu palabra. We thank you for your word. Uh, gracias por el privilegio que tenemos como tu pueblo 
de escuchar tu voz. Thank you for the privilege we have as your people to hear your voice through scripture. Señor, te pido que tú nos des oídos para oír. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that which you have for us as your church on this campus. Um, Lord, we are praying as, as a church family, as a Cornerstone family, and as a church throughout Chicago, we're praying that God would awaken this campus. And Lord, would you, um, would you teach us what it means to be a part of that awakening? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So there's a bunch of uh, big and mostly kind of suburban churches and their pastors that gathered together a while ago. They were called the, the gatekeepers, which is a bit of a um, kind of a, an auspicious, kind of a proud name to think of yourselves as the gatekeepers for Chicago. But these pastors gathered up kind of some of the biggest, largest churches in this area. And they said, How, what can we do together to impact uh, this city? I think it might be similar to think if maybe all the the campus organizations, say Crew and IV, and you guys have Cornerstone, and some of the other groups, RCU, if you all got together and said, what can we do to impact UIC? And these, these pastors, thinking of Chicago, they got together and they said, you know what we want to do? We want to do a shock and awe campaign. We want to we wanna shake up the city of Chicago and have a big impact here. And I think if we asked, if we talked to many of you guys, and we talked to some of the other campus leaders, you said, we want to create some shock and awe here at UIC. We want to shake up this university. Kind of when it awakened, both people say, yeah, that sounds great, great idea. Um, but the way these pastors were thinking about doing this was, um, after I heard about it, a little bit problematic. They thought, okay, let's do this big event in Millennium Park. Let's rent out the whole thing. Let's get all of our people, let's get thousands uh, of Christians downtown and do some big event and kind of this big splash. And let's show Chicago who the church is. And I'm not skewing that. I don't know what, how you would respond to that kind of uh, idea. But I was thinking, ah, I don't know. Something just doesn't seem right about this approach. Um, is this really sort of how God would really shake up a city? Um, and, and the thing about UIC, you know... Um, that's a pretty common thing to do as campus organizations. Let's do a big event. Let's do, you know, let's get a band in or let's, let's, let's shake up the, the campus. But is that really the way to transform whether it's a city or a university? I think many of us would have on our hearts, as these pastors did, you know, what, what does it take to really awaken a university? What does it take to bring true, lasting transformation here on campus among your friends and students and even throughout the city? I think in this passage here from Acts, and really the book of Acts, you can almost say, this is what happened. We, we get some ideas, and it's honestly a lot different than many of us would normally think. It's a lot different, I think, than even these pastors had in mind. Um, and honestly, it's a lot, um, honestly a lot simpler, I think. What I'd like to talk about today is this passage of this healing of this, um, this man and with uh, the early church, early disciples here. I think we see a bit of some clues for what it would take to also bring awakening here to, to UIC. We see later in the book of Acts, um, it's further down in, in Acts um, 17, it describes the early church, it describes the disciples as these people who have been turning the world upside down. This is in Acts 17, 6, Paul and Silas when they arrive in Thessalonica. But don't we long that people would say the same thing about Cornerstone, Chicago, when you maybe you, you sign up for a new class, it's a new semester. Whoa, uh-oh, here are these people who have been turning UIC upside down. I think 
That's God's heart. That's God's longing for this campus. And I think that's each of ours as well. But what, what does it take? And we see here at the end of this, of this um, healing and, and this, this scene in Acts 3, it says that the people were astounded. It says they were surprised. They were amazed. There was this sense of awe and wonder. And so I'd like to ask each of us and really to ask this passage, what does it take to really bring shock and awe to UIC? And I think there's three things that we can learn from this passage. Presence, power, and proclamation. Can you say those three with me? Presence, power, and proclamation. Presence, power, and proclamation. Sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus by being present with the poor. By putting ourselves in places and in dangerous situations where the power of God is the only thing that can break through. And then in proclaiming the Jesus. Presence, power, proclamations. Let's start with the first one, presence, being with the poor. God, I might say, sharing the gospel or gospelizing through deeds. Um, you can put the next uh, picture up there. These are all pictures taken by um, Jerry, who's one of our photographers and one part of our, our team. This is a, a homeless man in, in our community in Little Village. Um, it's not who I'm sharing the story about, but it's, it's another uh, just one of our neighbors there in the community. But this last week we had a homeless guy stay with us in our house in, in Little Village. He'd just gotten out of jail, actually, and another pastor in the community called us up and said, hey, this guy needs a place to stay. Can he stay with you guys a couple days? And he's about to go into this kind of transition housing, but he needs a place to stay. I said, sure. So uh, he came and he stayed with us, and we actually had our first service in the neighborhood this last Sunday. And uh, so this guy's name's Mark. He, he was involved, and he got really excited about the service, so he did our Facebook Live. He was walking around with his phone in the service, and if you go to our Facebook page, you can see you know, the fruit of his labor there of our first service. But um, after the service was over, he'd already been with us one night. It was the next day, and um, then he was going to spend that night, and then the next day we were going to drop him off. Uh, he had to, a probation uh, officer meeting, and it was my day off. Mondays is is for a lot of people who are pastors who work in the church. You kind of finish the weekend services, and Monday is like, ah, oh, heaven, oasis, you're done. So it was my Monday, but Mark was still at the house, and I'm like, ah, oh, I really don't want to talk to anybody today. I, I kind of go into a cave on Mondays. But Mark was there, and so we wanted to, you know, love him, and uh, so I took him to uh, Goodwill, and I got some clothes, and so I had this probation officer meeting, and I was like, okay, I'll drop you off. Or I was thinking, should I go in with him or not? And, um, and he said, yeah, I need some money to pay this thing. And I knew that I should go in with him to this appointment that he had in Ricker County. But it was right at the same time as my yoga class. And I really wanted to, it's like, I have to get, it's like my de-stressor. I don't know if you guys do yoga, but it's kind of weird. But um, <laughs> it was like at the same time, and I was like, no, this is my one day off. And I had this like, inner conflict, but I was like, ah, he'll be fine, he's a really nice guy. So I dropped him off, gave him some money at his appointment, and said, I'm going to my yoga class, have a good probation officer meeting, I'll see you back in my house later this afternoon. I dropped him off and then went to my yoga class in distress. And, um, and it was later I found out, rookie mistake, rookie mistake. Um, in, in long story short, what, what Mark needed was my presence. And not that I'm anyone special, but he needed the presence of the church. He needed people to be with him. He actually didn't need money, and the money in this actual situation was harmful. He ended up getting, um, buying some drugs and getting back and getting high, and then unfortunately now he's, he's back on the streets. And, and then it was like, oh, why? why? He needed the presence of the church, 
But I was too busy, I was too in my own world, I was selfish, and I gave him. In this case, my, sometimes money is actually very helpful, but not in this case. And, and I was just thinking, you think about the story here, James and John, it's, it's, it's fascinating. They're going, and one of the first things it says, if you have your, your Bibles, or you can, um, I'll just read it for you here. It says, um, Peter and John went to the temple uh, to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a uh, man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate so he could beg. So this was something that was every day. He was always going here to beg, and this was probably a pretty regular thing. He asked them for money. And then it says here, verse 4, it's pretty interesting. It says, Peter and John looked at him intently. Can you say that with me? Looked at him intently. Look at your neighbor for a second. Intently. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't, actually. I don't know. This might be a bad idea. It's making someone a little bit uncomfortable if it's your first time here. Okay? But it says they looked at him intently, and then Peter said, Look at us. So look back at me. Okay. Um, so looking at your neighbor. Um, and it says, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. Um, but they actually didn't give him money, right? And he said, well, we don't have money, and we can't give that to you. Um, but the first thing I did is they saw this person. It's interesting, there's a lot of specificity here about place. It talks about the temple, it talks about the gate called Beautiful. There's a specific entrance, and it talked about um, his friends bringing him there. Um, and just think about it in your life, aren't there those spaces where there's those people that are there all the time? Maybe it's a certain person on a certain street corner you always walk by to get the bus to class. Uh, maybe it's a certain classmate who's always sitting in a certain seat in class and all by themselves, or, or whatever it is. This is. There's a lot of specificity here about place. And the church is always called to minister in places and times in specific um, ways, But in here, the first thing that they do is they see him. They see him. You know, and all of us go by day by day by day in front of people all the time that we don't see. Over and over again. And the first calling of the church to create shock and awe on campus is to begin to see. And we actually have to ask, them, ask God to give us a renewed sight, a renewed scene, especially of those people who are broken, who are poor, who are unseen by those around us. And this is the first part of ministry of presence, is actually seeing, seeing those who are around us. But there's a second thing happens here, is they see, but then they actually don't have any money to give. Now, have you been in this situation before? You're at a street corner, or you're at a stoplight, and someone asks you for money, and there's always this kind of like, oh man, sorry, don't have any change, you know, or don't, don't have anything on me. And sometimes it's kind of like, actually you do, but you don't, right? But... Um, here, just ask yourselves, why did James, I don't think they're lying, I don't think James and John didn't have any money to give. I mean, did have money, but they didn't want to give it to him. But they actually said, we don't have any money. And so I asked myself, why do you think James and John didn't have any money to give? Any ideas? Why didn't they have any money to give this guy? I was reading, I was reading, yeah, you have any ideas? Yeah, actually, yeah, exactly. They'd already given everything away, actually. If you go back a little bit further, when Jesus, in some of the other, in the Gospels, it says, um, when they left everything to follow Jesus, and Peter has this conversation with Jesus, and says, Jesus, we left everything to follow you, home, and houses, and work, and friends, and neighbors, and family, and, and then Jesus promises this blessing, this multiplication of that in the life to come. But, um, so this is one reason. I think they'd already given up everything. There was this radical 
freedom that they had to follow Jesus. But I think there's a second reason. If you go back just a little bit earlier in Acts, and have you guys been studying Acts together the last couple of weeks as well? If you go um, just just before this in Acts chapter two, it said all and it's this picture of what what was it like to live in community, to live as the early church. And verse two forty five says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money they had with those in need. Uh, but there what's actually talking about with those in need, it wasn't actually first those outside, it's actually talking about within the church. One of the reasons they didn't have any money to give this guy was because they had already been practicing this radical sharing and generosity within the church. They'd already given up everything, yeah, exactly right. They'd already given up everything, and so they didn't have anything left, left to give. And this was actually a good thing. Um, so practicing a ministry of presence begins actually within with a radical generosity within the church. Later in 434, says there were no needy people among them, talking about the early church themselves, within their community. Um, see, to be a ministry and a presence outside to the broader UIC campus, to the broader city of Chicago, it starts here. And you know what, over and over again, what's, what do people, what's one of the biggest objections people have to the gospel? It's Christians, right? We share, we share the gospel, what do people say all the time? Man, those Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I want to hear what you have to say? Or, you know, I hear all the time, oh, you know those pastors, they buy those jets, or those televangelists, and they have those mansions. And, you know, so why would I hear the message you have to bring? How many of us heard something along those lines before, right? You know, and it's actually a pretty valid uh, point, right? So one of the first things that we're called to, to actually bring transformation on a campus, a city, wherever it be, is to practice within our body within the church, within our community, a radical generosity, a radical sharing, a radical being with one another in our needs. That begins to paint a different picture of what it means to be the church. That paints a different picture and begins to create a different conversation, different context. Uh, but secondly, uh, so we had, what was the first one? Presence, right? Then we have power. Presence is um, sharing the gospel through, uh, by being with the poor and those in need. Power is a sharing of the gospel through healing and a liberating of the sick and the oppressed. We might call through signs and wonders. Um, there's, there's a woman in one of our Latino congregations who, she shares this openly and we often are praying for her. Um, she, she had seizures. Um, she can't figure out exactly what's going on and she's seen some doctors and medicine hasn't worked. She doesn't have health insurance so there's not a lot of options for her. And one day she came to church. Um, she'd been missing for a couple weeks and she came and her eye was all swollen, a big black eye and kind of a couple of teeth were actually chipped and lip kind of cut up and like, oh, what, what happened? And she'd had a seizure at work or I think it was at home and had fallen over and just face planted basically on the ground and, she lives constantly in fear, and her husband, as he's away at work, that this is going to happen. And, um, and this is the case for many throughout Chicago, through in our own neighborhood, um, their little village, and people who don't have health insurance, don't have needs, and who really, their only health insurance is the Holy Spirit, and the only um, recourse is prayer. And it's interesting that because the disciples had practiced this radical generosity, they actually didn't have money to give, and it was a good thing, because then what did they have to give was the power of the living God. Um, and it's interesting that when Jesus sends out his disciples, if you remember the twelve, he sends them to do three things. Do you remember what those three things are? He sends out the two by two and then the seventy-two to preach, to heal, and to um, 
free from demons, to cast out demons. Uh, many of us are pretty familiar maybe with preaching, maybe not so familiar with healing and casting out demons. Um, but let me tell you, this is, this is actually normal, uh, common, everyday part of what it means to be the church and what it means to do gospel work. Um, and so I'm going to invite you guys, and I'm going to invite myself to, to really begin to um, enter into this full kind of uh, ministry of Jesus here on your campus. What does it look like to put yourselves and to meet people whose only recourse is the power of the Holy Spirit? Maybe, it's, maybe you don't have friends who, um, who have, have physical needs. Maybe you do. Uh, maybe you know people who are you know, cutting themselves. Maybe it's um, deep depression they can't seem to get out of. Um, whatever it is, we are called as the church to go into those places where the only other thing we can depend on, it's not money, it's not intelligence, it's not books or, or our own kind of experience, it's the power of God to bring healing and freedom. And you know what, if we're going to shake up this campus and shake up Chicago, we have to learn to enter into this whole other world of, of signs and wonders, of, of asking God for freedom and healing. Um, you know, it's actually a good thing. When Jesus sent out the 12 and the 72, he sent them out without money, without spare clothes, without this kind of experience of when you go on mission and others, who, are you guys going to Florida on the, the Miami trip? Um, can I get some, whoop! Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's actually a good thing to do this, to go, and it's actually really good to go without having what you think you need, because it's in these places that we depend on the power of God. We say, we can't do it. But how do we, every day, this week, in your, in your, in, with your families, with your classmates here on campus, put yourselves in positions where there's nothing else we can depend on except the power of God to heal and to free. Um, there's another uh, woman from one of our congregations, and she uh, has one of the hardest life stories I think I've ever heard. And when, she just first started coming to our church. She sat down after service one time, and she kind of just poured out for about an hour her life story. And she had been uh, raped multiple times, all kinds of abandonment. People had stolen her kids. There was human trafficking here without legal paperwork and all kinds of stuff. While she's telling this story, and over and over, all these ways she's gotten beat up by life, I'm thinking, oh my Lord, what, what can I offer this person? It's like I have nothing to give her. She kept on going and finally finished telling her story. And then uh, I just said, thank you for sharing. I said, can we, can, we, can we pray? Can we invite Jesus' presence into this moment? And she said, yes. And we, I didn't really say much. I didn't even really know how to pray. But I just said, Lord, please show yourself to her. And there was kind of, we just let it do in a moment of silence. And we just, just kind of, in, interior in my inside, I was saying, God, please show up. I need you to do something. I need you to show your love to her. And then she started weeping. Weeping and weeping and weeping. And then I said, Well, what's going on? What's going on? She says, I see Jesus. And I said, Well, what's he doing? And he says, She's he's embracing me, he's hugging me. And um, and she felt Jesus' love. And it, it wasn't like all her problems went away in that moment, but she experienced a deep healing by simply saying, Lord, please, please show up. And uh, I think all of you know people that need that, right? Need a need that presence and power of God to bring healing. Um, and that day, both me and her, and as she shared her testimony with others, we felt awe. Oh, there was a shock in awe, saying, this is a God who heals. 
else. And lastly, there's, uh, so what do we have so far? What's the first P? Presence. 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 Power. Power. And then proclamation. Proclamation. We share the gospel through, um, through being with those who are suffering and hurting and the poor. We share the gospel through asking God's power to show up in powerful ways, to heal, to free. And we proclaim the gospel through words by saying Jesus by telling people about Jesus. There's another person in our, in our neighborhood um, that I met just recently. I was at the corner store just down the block. Joe's coming, said, yeah. Um, tend to buy, go there as much as I can. And, and just, we've been getting to know the people that work there and sharing the gospel. And uh, we walked in. Susie and I were actually going to buy some, uh, uh, some little kind of candy type things to give to our first time guests at our service. And so we walk in, and there's this guy who walks up to me, kind of a tall guy, and about my age, and, and kind of gruff, and he says, can I help you? I think, oh man, this guy like a police officer or something? Or, Why is he talking to me? I've never seen him before. He's talking to me in English. Everyone's talking in Spanish. And, and I said, uh, yeah, maybe. And he says, I'm the owner here. And I said, well, you're not, I actually know the owner. And he's like, yeah, I just bought it yesterday, basically. I don't know when he had just bought the store. I'm like, oh, okay. And his name's... Uh, uh, Edward, he just moved from New York City, Dominican background, and just bought the store. So it's like, oh, great, hey, I'm a pastor in the neighborhood, and we come here all the time, get to know people, and, and I invite him to our service. He says, well, thanks, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he says, you know what, I, um, I believe in God, I even read the Bible some, but I don't believe in church. So, okay, and then he went kind of the classic thing, he went off on all the problems and hypocrisy, and so yeah, the people, they just mess it up. And like, yeah, you're right, actually. Um, <laughs> it's true. Um, and you know, I said, "Well, can we meet to talk about it?" And then later, as I was thinking about it, it's like, "Well, he believes in God. That's a great place to start. He doesn't believe in the church. We can work on that." But then I was thinking, "But does he believe in Jesus? Does he believe the gospel?" And that's actually the more important question that leads to fixing the other things he was worrying worrying about. Um, and so, what I'm trying to do is actually not bring him to church. And I'm trying to figure out just to take him to breakfast and just talk with him about Jesus. And um, went again yesterday. He's too busy right now, so pray for Edward. But um, unfortunately, presence and power isn't enough. Um, but they often lead to this third and essential part of of what shock and eyes, which is say the name of Jesus. What happens in this text is they heal, this man gets healed, he's leaping for joy, everyone's like, whoa, what's going on here? And then Peter, smart guy that he is, he says, aha, here's my chance. Um, what does it say in verse um, 13? Peter, this is New Living Translation, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. He say, saw his opportunity? Saw his opportunity. Yeah. Take those opportunities that present themselves. Peter was smart. He knew, oh, this is creating surprise and wonder. The door is opening now to proclaim Jesus. And what does he do? He starts preaching. And he preaches, it is God that has brought glory to Jesus through this. He's basically saying, hey guys, it's not us. We're not smart. We're, we're, not, that, we're not powerful. This is the power of God. This is God's presence. And let me just tell you about Jesus. And he preaches and then follows persecution, and if you actually really want to bring shock and awe to your campus, persecution is going to be part of it, so that's the fourth P, I don't have a lot of time to talk about. But uh, really, I think in revivals, you have presence, power, proclamation, and persecution. So, if you get excited when people make fun of you, get excited when, um, 
you know, someone, uh, I don't know, put something mean on Facebook about you and, uh, because you're a Christian. That's, it's a good sign. We need more of that if there's going to be uh, really a, a movement of God on campus. Um, but but uh, Peter saw his opportunity and he, and he preaches about Jesus. And we love Jesus. We love Jesus. And when we seek to really shake up UIC, what we were actually asking, and when we seek to talk about bringing awakening to this campus, awakening to the city, we're saying, we want Jesus to be known. Jesus to be known. And Jesus is powerful. Jesus' presence heals us. And saying and talking and proclaiming the name of Jesus brings people into eternal salvation. This is what we want for. Amen? Amen. 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 Um, uh, pastor Paco is a, is a pastor that we partner with in Little Village, and he gave us an evangelism training a couple weeks ago. We're learning how to do this really basic gospel presentation. How many of you have learned how to share uh, the gospel in under three minutes? Have you guys done any kind of trainings like this? Yes! Okay, good, good. If you haven't, if, if, um, you've got to have the, I think, under a minute version and the like five minute version. The under the minute version, Pastor Paco said, is basically... My, this is my life before Jesus, my life after, and you can say it as you're kind of going down in an elevator. If you never see the person again, well, you, you've been able to share real quickly. But the five-minute version, he says, you've got to do this one piece. This is really important. I don't know if this is part of your training. He says, at the very end, after you talk about the, the brokenness in the world, the redemption that comes through Jesus, that we repent and believe and to encounter salvation, he says, you have to do this one thing. He says, you have to ask, what's keeping you here and now from accepting Jesus? Um, what's keeping you? What's keeping you back here and now from accepting Jesus? And uh, basically, you got you got to make the ask. You got to give people the message, but then give them an opportunity to respond. Because um, we actually believe that the name of Jesus brings salvation forever. It changes and transforms lives and campuses and whole cities. And it's a powerful name. In the name of Jesus was this man healed. Um, you know, I think. Uh, your generation, maybe more in particular, is longing for more than words, right? There's so many words bouncing around. We got, you know, 20 million social media platforms now, and we're overwhelmed with words and words and a lot of Christian-y spiritual words, 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 and religions and philosophies, and people are kind of tired of words. And so what happens is, especially when there's such a bad testimony often at the church, is that people need to see and to experience and feel the goodness of Jesus. Through presence and power, through living out your gospel witness, people see you sacrificing and being radically generous with one another and those who are hurting. People start paying attention. There begins, be, begins to be, oh, why are they doing that? What's their motivation? Who, who are these people? And that opens the door for us together to say, Jesus, Jesus. Um, Edward still didn't come to one of our services, but he did end up giving us a bunch of uh, peanuts for you to give to our guests. So if you visit one of our services, you get some free peanuts <laughs> from uh, Edward's store. Um, just to end, uh, so how, what does this mean for you guys? How do you, how do you put this into practice here on campus? Um, just a couple ideas. First of all, I'm going to challenge you to pray dangerous and risky prayers. Pray dangerous and risky prayers. Pray those prayers and then really without God, they won't be answered. I don't know about you, but often I pray prayers that it's hard to tell really if they were answered or not, and I kind of like it that way because I'm sort of afraid that maybe, you know, I don't have enough faith anyways, or maybe, you know what I mean? 
pray, pray risky prayers that if they're actually answered, it's kind of obvious. And there's an awe and wonder that says, whoa. Pray risky prayers for others and tell them and pray it in front of them. Um, maybe there's people that really need a prayer of healing. Uh, I'm not sure what it is in your context, but I'm going to challenge you. Pray and stretch yourself to both live in such a way and to pray in such a way that certain things won't happen unless God's a part of it. That, um, pray risky prayers. Um, ask for the ability to see the poor who are around you, the broken earth. Ask for the ability to be present. But it begins with seeing. Um, I was on Wheaton College campus, and Wheaton College is a pretty wealthy place overall. It's in the suburbs. And I read all these books about the poor and all this stuff, and I'm like, Oh, great. Well, now i got to go to the city, or i got to go to, I don't know, Africa or something to find the poor. And it's like, what do I do here on campus? And But I started to pray, Lord, so help me see here in my midst those that I can love. And um, I, I don't think necessarily they're... Well, anyway, in each of our contexts, there, there's people that, that are unseen. And for me, I started seeing certain people on my floor, and but I started seeing the ladies who... Uh, there, there were actually mostly ladies in the cafeteria that swipe your cards. We call them the laser ladies. They mm-hmm. come in, you swipe your card, and you get your meal. And uh, many of them were immigrants, and most people just, you know, they're hungry. They've been waiting in line. Just kind of swipe their card and go through. And so I started seeing them in a different way. So I said, "Okay, we're going to do a party for the laser ladies." Um, so we did. We threw our my floor. I was I think it was Nari at the time. We did a, a dorm party. And we invited them, and we made them the guests of honor. Those ladies who really served the whole campus, we said, we're going to serve you. And we made this, like, we tried to put a bunch of guys, you know, put a bunch of nice tablecloths. I don't know if we put candles. I'm sure it wasn't that nice looking. But but we made them the guests of honor. And that was our way, in a very small way, to say, we see you. Who is it? Who is it here in your campus? I don't know if you have lazy ladies, but uh, who are those? um, Maybe it's the people who shovel the snow so you get to class. Maybe it's the... TAs, maybe it's uh, certain classmates. Who are those people who are invisible that you can begin to ask? Lord, help us to see them and to be with them. Um, pray for good prayers. Pray for the ability to see. And I encourage you to practice radical generosity. Practice radical generosity. It's beginning with the church. Beginning with the church. And just to finish, there's this um, uh, this bunch of leaders, Christian leaders, got together a while ago. Um, Fisher Billy Graham is actually somehow part of this. It's called the Micah Declaration, which I just want to read this to you as we end with this. It says, If we ignore the world, we betray the Word of God, which sends us out to serve the world. If we ignore the Word of God, we have nothing to bring to the world. Justice and justification by faith, worship and political action, the spiritual and the material, personal change and structural change belong together. As in the life of Jesus, being, doing, and saying are at the heart of our integral task. Word, deeds, and signs. Ministry through the word, spirit, sacrament. Let's be the body of God, the body of Christ here at UIC. Let's pray for that we would so radically live out the gospel that we would, that there would be awe here in our midst. Let's pray. Let's pray. Could you stand there where, where you are as we pray?
we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your good news. We thank you that we have the privilege of representing you here at UIC, being your ambassadors. God, I pray for a renewed gift of faith for each student here. Uh, I pray for those students who have lost faith in the power of prayer. Let their faith be renewed right now. I pray for those who have lost faith in the power of Jesus, in the name of Jesus in particular. Um, I pray for students who uh, really are wondering, is Jesus actually that different from other religious leaders? Was, was he that unique? What's, what's about him? Lord Jesus, would your power and uniqueness be reaffirmed in their hearts? Um, and I pray even for any student who needs healing or who knows somebody who needs healing, Lord, would you give us the faith that you are God that can heal? Lord, would you help us to restore the, uh, even the testimony, the, the uh, reputation of the church? But even more than that, Lord, would you, will we make Jesus famous here at UIC and in Chicago?